Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Dwarf from Antique, Block Party, and Emily Neat from Osprey Games. This is Staying In. We've been having some uh, bonkers weather. I think that's how the uh, the Met Office describes it. Yeah, just lots of bees all over the Great Britain map. <laughs> um, today the weather is going to be bonkers and lots of thunder and lightning, which I love. I love a good thunderstorm. Um, I, I think they're incredible. But it's been the first proper thunderstorms where I've had to try and explain to a two-year-old what, what thunder and lightning is. And I think being a dad for the first time, the thing that has shocked me the most has been how you how difficult it is to explain certain concepts to a child that you just take for granted now, if you see what I mean. Yeah, so are there, are there like analogies that you have to use to kind of explain? Well, no, yeah, so there's like analogies I need to use for Thunder. But just for another example, like he sees, he knows certain numbers and he sees like a, a speed sign and it'll have a two and a zero on it. And he'll go, that's a two and a zero. And then I have to try and explain to him how two numbers together makes a bigger number. <laughs> and it's only when you think of it like that that it just sounds like the weirdest thing you've ever had to, and like, he just can't take it on board. He doesn't understand how when two numbers are put together, they make another number that's different to the two numbers that are, but you're not adding them, they're just together. Um, but then when it came to th the thunder, like obviously I was explaining to him how when lightning hits, it heats up the air around it, causes it to expand and, and whoosh away. And that's the explosion sound that we hear, my son. Um, <laughs> Were you wearing a flat cap? <laughs> Uh, that didn't work as well. So we just said the clouds are banging together and that was... That's lovely. The clouds are jamming. The clouds are jamming together. Um, but it did make me have a flashback to when I was a child and having the same sort of fear and unease about thunderstorms. And I remember the analogies that my parents used for me. Now, I grew up, um, Emily, in a, um, a very sort of... Uh, religious house very sort of Christian which I realise now is actually a great parenting hack because you can just blame everything on God <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's handy um, and so Thunder was oh the angels are playing the angels are bowling again oh it's quite what, adorable what like lawn bowls or temping no like temping bowling because when there was a when there was a flash of lightning that was a strike God's got a strike. Well done. <laughs> and if you count, so, you can work out how far the striker was away. Yeah. So it amazing. kind of turned thunder into uh, into this like spectator sport when I was a kid. When I was a kid, and then the other one, which was great, which was oh, God's taking the bins out. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. It's a lot nicer than he's just moving his furniture around, which makes him just sound like he's constantly feng shuiing. Yeah, and there's that slight sort of, you know, that if you're if I was a foley artist and wanted to make thunder, my first bet would be getting a wheelie bin and yeah. rolling it along the ground. Like there's a there's a oh, sort of similar God sort sorting of. for his recycling. <laughs> oh, God's not washed his jars. Yeah. I, I definitely think I just had 
the story of the two clouds going together. I don't think I, I don't think that changed until about GCSE. I don't think I knew the science of it before then. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, it kind of makes more sense in a way. Mm. But when you really think about it, it should be happening all the time. Yeah. But it does sound like a momentous event. It sounds more plausible than air just rapidly moving away from a from a heated rod of electricity. Yeah. Um, I like that kind of mythologizing of the everyday to kind of make sense of it. That's you know the Greeks were really good about that the ancient Greeks in terms of where Absolutely. where things would come from. I really like that. It's not quite putting your bins out though, is it? No. Although admittedly Sam. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah. We go from like the pantheon of gods to like the UK just <laughs> lack of imagination. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason why we stole most of the gods. Pretty this. much, yeah. yeah. But didn't steal them that well. <laughs> well, Zeus is uh, putting his bins out. Yeah, mm, good for him. So, um, thanks for joining us today, Em. It's um, good to have you with us. It's really nice to be here. Yeah, fantastic. Now, um, in preparing for this show, I was uh, we were we were sending some emails back and forth, and you said something to me that I know that me and Chris are going to be thrilled to hear about when we're talking about what kind of things you're up to. What would you like to talk on the show? And you mentioned that this Father's Day weekend. Um, you were going to watch all of the extended editions of Lord of the Rings. Oh back my to back. word! <laughs> yeah. Now yeah. that's half. That's half a day. <laughs> Two questions. Did you do it? Yeah, of course, absolutely, all the way through. And was and was it and was it genuinely back to back, or was there like a tactical nap? No, there, there, there was no tactical naps. No, we um we let the credits roll, so there's a little bit of downtime for people to get you know drinks, oh. food, but. No, we, we, we think it was just like 12, 12 and a bit hours in the end. Uh, I can't say whether we watched them, you know, all the way through exactly, you know, concentrated the whole time because that's a lot of hours of film. But I mean, the first one. Sure. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. But as soon as the ends turn up, you're just like, right. OK, yeah. <laughs> chill out. <laughs> We're here for a bit, guys. <laughs> There's a lot of bits of it. And you're like... Was this in was this in the original? Is this the extended cut? I can't I can't tell them apart anymore. But this seems quite a long winded way around this. But that was great. Um, we uh, we did sort of like themed cocktails all the way through. Oh, okay. Oh, wonderful. So that uh, we had like something to kind of focus as we went through. Uh, go, go on. So, what were your <laughs> what what cocktails do you have when you're watching Lord of the Rings? Was there one for each film? Uh, there was there's one for each film, and then we had a little like themed shot in each film as well. Uh, which well, <laughs> nine we... shots for each of the uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, every, yeah. Every time a member of the Fellowship dies. <laughs> oh yeah, we had drinking games that if you had a certain character, uh, any time that character killed anyone, you had to take a drink. Uh, unfortunately, oh my... one of my friends had Helms oh, Deep. Yeah, crazy. Uh, yeah. I think I had Legolas. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> um, but no, we had... Um... And, they, and they tell you how many you, they kill as well. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't there that one scene where him and Gimli are just like, I've got 42! <laughs> yeah, that still counts as one. Yeah, that was it. Um, yeah, it was oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had, I think, the, the ones to probably recall were 
we had Sexy Sauron on the beach. I mean, <laughs> why not? I, we're, we're all, we've all got an image. <laughs> um, we had, uh, oh, what was the second one? Oh, yeah, Aragorn Star Martini. Again, <laughs> vaguely themed. These, these... A little bit of Athalas plant in it. Yeah. Uh, uh, first one was Miravor, which was kind of like iced tea with gin, which was quite pleasant as a starting nice, kind nice, of cocktail. Nice, um, little little blue vodka shot of Sting when Sting first turns blue. Um, Gosh, this is really ooh. really well planned. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe less in practice than you know theory, but like all great quests. <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it helped to shape the kind of the movies and give a little bit of, you know, something else going on. So that was fun. That's so interesting because um, I have literally am drinking now a tea that is designed for uh, particular classes within um, role-playing games D&D. Um, the one I'm drinking is a Buccaneer. Uh, Ooh, which wasn't okay. what I thought it would taste like. Actually, I thought when I when I heard bucket, <laughs> what did you well, think of bucket? I thought, would taste I thought like? something that would be a bit smoky because I'm thinking of like gunpowder, mm. like a gunpowder tea, maybe like. All oh, right, um, okay, yeah. That's that's what I was imagining. This is actually a really nice um, kind of almost blueberry, kind of fruity, kind of um, almost like a rhubarb tea. It's it's really nice and. We got sent these by um, Honey Badger Games. Yeah, ah. so we've spoken about them before. We met them at Aircon um, in Harrogate yeah, uh, a few months ago now, actually. And they've got a new set of teas coming out called Tea Party. And we'll put a link in the show notes as to how um, listeners, if they want to back this, they can online. And essentially, um, it's literally what you've just talked about there in terms of your Lord of the Rings marathon. It's them trying to create a tea that works with every single type of class that you'd have for an rpg event mm. and the way they kind of thought about it was like well okay um what would this character drink when they're on their travels and it's it's a really lovely That's unique kind of way of doing it so rather than so rather than the rather than trying to encapsulate the character themselves it's what what would that character be yeah thinking? and like i think because um I, i'm a games master at the moment and i really enjoy having a blank character character sure. sheet to kind of develop and build characters and i'm always into slightly more abstract ways of developing a character that aren't just picking a from a list of attributes or qualities or rolling a dice say <laughs> so you know having a cup of tea and going oh oh this this tea makes me think of this kind of person that would drink that tea you yeah, know, there are the certain teas I don't drink, and then sometimes somebody will say to me, "Well, I drink this type of tea." I'm like, oh, really? I never had you down as that. In the same way that when I tell people I'm a Scorpio, they look at me really weird, um, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> um, but there's, but there's that, that it really does work, and it's, it's there's nothing really artificial in the flavors. It's they spent a lot of time thinking about the intricacies of how certain flavor profiles can be paired with a particular character class so one we got in the post another one was um the games master which was this wonderful kind of smoky chai and you just think about that yeah that, mm. that, that commands a degree of authority doesn't it smoky yeah, chai absolutely. whereas the ranger linking to the aragorn thing you were talking about before and um is a light mint which kind of works because you've got to be light on your feet you're on the you're on the road and it almost feels like you've picked this mint somewhere in the bushes yeah i was gonna say you yeah. stuck it in a kettle so I, I'm really quite liking this. And I know, Sam, you and I, when we game, we like to theme 
um, generally with music we do it. As much yeah, as possible. Yeah, with music yeah. we'll have some music on. In fact, when we played Lord of the Rings Journeys of Middle Earth the other day, we actually turned off the music in the app and just put our own on. Yeah. So I think, you know, this sense ceramic kind of approach to kind of game playing, I think is really, really nice. And I think now next time I'm, I'm going to do the Lord of the Rings marathon, um, I will totally be trying to find a way to pair that with something that is sensorial, whether it be taste, you know, maybe I'll make my own Lembus bread, which I did do once. I made my own Lembus bread for a friend for their, who the hell was that for? I can't remember. It was for somebody's birthday. I made us Lembus bread. They just went on this massive, they just made it for them. We went on a walk. <laughs> that was it. Journey. It's their birthday. We went on a walk and okay. I made Lembus bread. Oh, sorry. And I ate most of it. Yeah. <laughs> now that either tells me that it was terrible and you just ate because it was the, the food that was the only food you could pick or or it was not enjoyed by oh it was others. enjoyed but spoilers it was shortbread but the oh, rest I thought you'd say bread, bread. Mm. okay that does that does sound yeah, it's, it's, it, you know edible on a walk almost like I a, mean shortbread does have slightly magical it's a bit like a Kendall mint cake so yeah it's almost like that really it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like um, a piece of bread it was like um it was shortbread, and I, I wished I'd kind of wrapped it in something like a banana leaf or something like they do in the films, and it looks really more appealing in that way. Should have put my, uh, yeah, I, I, put it, I took it in Tupperware, which wouldn't have really worked, would it, really? It'd be like the coffee cup in Game of Thrones. But I, mm. <laughs> I, I'm glad that this kind of, you know, you know uh, uh, like trying to like bring, I guess, you know, if I was a, if I was a marketeer, I'd say, you know, bringing board games into the fourth dimension or, you know, that I, I think I think, you know, um, cinema companies and, and and even people like the BBC and stuff have been trying to find ways of like enhancing your experience with a product, with a thing, whether that's like going into a shaky seat and having like steam and water sprayed at you. At steam? Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, well, it's like not a, like, like steam. It's like, like yeah, fog like and smoke. Yeah, not like second degree burns while you're watching Fast X. On, I, I did go. one of those and the smell, I think it was Captain America, and the smell of like green grass from a specific scene. Now when I watch that film back, I can still smell that. So I do think that's, that's so something that really sticks that's with you. That's interesting. It's like a Proustian moment. Mm. I, I remember back in the late... It must have been in the late nineties or something like that, where a comic relief did a scratch and sniff evening, and you could go down the post office or somewhere, go to Sainsbury's, you get your little scratch and sniff card for a quid, and then they did all these comedy sketches, like I think they did like a Blackadder or something like that, and it was really really clunky thinking back to it, but the magic of it when I was a kid was incredible because it was kind of like at this moment scratch off panel number five. And it would just be a scene where Blackadder's like taking off Baldrick socks and you scratch a little panel. Um, and then you get the, the smell of sewage. <laughs> but, but notoriously, the challenge they've always faced is that you can't remove instantaneously the smell that was there before. Mm. So it's about that that consolidation of odours, yeah. isn't it, really? That's the challenge they face, unless they turn on like a massive which is why the, fan which is why between the, each smell. I think what's great about the, the teas that you're drinking, Chris is like how seriously it's been taken and i think that and i know like em you're talking about like you know having cocktails and making it part of the evening but that's what makes things like that so special and enhance them like if, if i think about you know i remember when resident evil 7 came out and capcom released a candle that smelled like i think it literally smelled like a damp basement 
or like it smelled like fresh meat Christ. or something oh like that. There was like, and it's like, get this candle now to enhance your game playing experience. And it's just like when it's when it's not a marketing push, it can actually be something that really <laughs> run yourself a bath. You <laughs> just. <laughs> oh my god and i bet you regretted buying that big roman candle yeah oh my yeah. word <laughs> yeah and then my wife got them mixed up when she was having a relaxing yeah, spa evening. day and all the flies started yeah. gathering and you're, you're stuck you know playing resident evil with the smell of sandalwood <laughs> so which of which of the teas is your favorite so uh, far, probably Chris? the ranger for me uh because i'm mm. a big fan of mint tea and i, I think that really speaks to me more it's a it's a bit cleaner a little bit simpler and I, I i mean i am enjoying the ones i'm drinking at the moment definitely but in terms of the character class i that i'm drawn to and the tea it's it's that definitely the ranger and and we've had a few of them before and we've spoken about in the pod you know we've had the barbarian the assassin um which have been lovely lovely teas but um yeah i'm i'm going to be backing this definitely because uh my partner's a big fan of tea um she's got like millions of tea flavors and it has encouraged me to be a bit more adventurous and maybe think about, well, okay, oh, if I like this tea, maybe actually I should give this class a consideration. Maybe I'm going to be doing an RPG rather than perhaps, you know, just going for the ones I usually go for. So. So, um, you're with Osprey. How long have you been with Osprey for? Oh, um, nine years. Um, wow. Yeah, quite a long time. Um, I sort of started on the, we have a military list as well as we're publishing. Lots of people know it for the military history titles. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, we launched Osprey Games in 2015. And I started working on them about sort of 2016, 2017. So a while, oh, actually. Yeah. Amazing. And how did you get into the industry? What was your way into it? Um, I mean, I wanted to work in publishing, essentially, to begin with. Um, uh, book publishing was the route in. Uh, and then... I've always been a massive nerd, so it was quite easy to fall into the game side as the opportunity arose. Yeah. That's great. Well, as I said, it's a pleasure. Yeah, it really to is. So thank you so Especially much for Especially after here. spending years and years for, you know, speaking to you. Um, yes. Yeah. I do recall um, 2020 sending you a, a little missing reinforcement card, sending him to the front lines of the pandemic. Oh, Yes. <laughs> That was great. That was one that I... Oh, no, what happened to that one? It got wet, I think. Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah, that was the great summer where I lost uh, lots of oh, board yeah. game pieces. Yeah. Mostly down your decking. Yeah, I lost loads down my decking. <laughs> but, yeah. I was just trying to make the most of the... <laughs> most of the summer. But... Um... Mm. So, um, Chris... You've got a Sam. Uh, a great memory for when things were on the show. When did we talk about um, inkling? Inkling, inkling. Oh, it's just going through the annals of my memory here. Let's just... It was in June. It was back in June 21, uh -huh. as in June 2021. Yes. So it, like two years ago. It was episode 129. I believe 120 oh, yes. where we also Remember talked about Call Incredible. of the Sea. What what the sea? Oh, call of the um, that Cthulhu yeah. point and click adventure. Well, um, I guess we have to be slightly open and honest, and this is this is a pure coincidence. This wasn't fabricated in any way. <laughs> I'm not that clever uh, or smart, but I have to say that that M, who is who is joining us 
uh, on this edition. It's is from Osprey, but it, as I said, it's complete coincidence. And uh, everyone knows how much I love Inkling. I mean, I think the the greatest representation of how much I love Inkling is the only game I've ever had to ask for a replacement score pad. Oh, wow, you got through it all. Wow. That's, that's yeah. impressive, yeah. That's good. We want to hear that. Absolutely. Which is something that, like, you know, I've, you know, when you get a, you know, when you get a new board game, you look at that score pad and you, you just know, never get <laughs> especially if it's double sided. <laughs> do you do you like do you like riffle through it like next to your ear like and just say yeah it's all here. <laughs> you count all the pages. Like it's money in a suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> do you keep them? Do I keep the score pads? Oh, or, or do you mean like, like the in the bottom of the box, ones? like the used ones? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do because. Um, for two reasons. First, I like a reminder about how bad I am at board games. Um, two, it's just nice to have a sort of a nice thing of, oh, that was, yeah, I remember that time when me and Chris played that game. And also, I think it's really nice when, you know, if I'm giving up some games, like giving them to charity or to a friend or um, selling them on or whatever, Whenever I've received a board game that's got used score notes inside of it, I re- I quite like it. I quite like the idea that I'm getting something that's yeah. been loved, that's been played. Definitely. Um, and so, yeah, so I, 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 I do keep them. I don't think I've kept the Inkling ones only because they would fill up the whole box if I played it. <laughs> do we, do we um, need to explain what Inkling is or re-explain? Yeah, yeah. Say? So, um, so um, really, I should get M to do it. I was it. about to say works for Osprey but <laughs> I'm more than happy to yeah um Go on, it's it's a it's a three to six player word game uh and essentially you are uh you've got these sort of sort of shapes of words letters in front of you and throughout the course of the game you're going to be trying to use these shapes to craft words and score points off the card that you've got and you're going to get points for uh sort of other people guessing what those words are um but what's kind of uh sort of unique and what's interesting about it is that actually you're not just trying to play those letters as the letters that they appear you might uh have a b and you might actually you know use another card to cover the the straight line on it and then sort of rotate it so it can be an m so you're constantly trying to be a bit more creative so rather than being a word game that relies on knowledge of words or um specific kind of um uh, you know trying to just make the most out of what letters you've got it's actually forcing you to be a bit more creative mm. with it yeah. that, i think that uh surprises it quite quickly but it is it's, yeah. it's great yeah no definitely yeah I, I i i could play inkling all day and the reason the reason why i bring it up is that uh it's the game that came to mind the first game that came to mind when i played block party from big potato and we've spoken about big potato tons on oh, yeah. the show um, like sounds fishy, chicken versus hot dog, herb mentality, blah 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 blah. They're great. And so, Block Party is a game that reminded me a lot of Inkling, but it just but just with several different twists. the The main one being that instead of making words, as um, quite brilliantly described, you're instead building objects using little blocks so each player gets a list of words and then one player is designated the guesser for that round and everyone gets a chance to be the guesser and then the game ends so as em was describing um 
block party like inkling is a game all about creating something out of nothing almost and when once you've created something someone else is going to try and guess to see if you're right if they guess right of what your object is they get a point and you get a point but i think where block party kind of shines and where it's sort of different offers something different to inkling is the fact that you're you're very very limited in the time that you've got to make the things and also very limited in the resources that you have but really what makes block party very interesting is that each round has a an objective that kind of governs how that round is going to how that round is going to go or shapes the round in a certain way which helps you score more points so that objective is something like the person who uses the most blocks will get an extra point or the person who uses the least blocks will get a certain point or a person who makes something that is the most colorful and this objective card does another thing where it not only denotes sort of like a general sort of scoring aspect of the game an additional way to get points and a certain challenge when it comes to creation but it also denotes how long each round is going to last so unlike inkling where you've kind of got infinite time to turn yourself slightly crazy trying to make the word washing out of you know random shapes and squiggles like this this gives you like any time from like a minute to 30 seconds to create what you want to create so once you've kind of picked once the guesser has sort of flipped over the objective and you've picked a word and you kind of got your head around what you're going to create the guesser sets a time limit and off you go and then chris i think this is what you would love about this game most is then it's a competition to get the blocks from the middle of the table oh no like oh, you no. don't have you don't have your own you don't have your own like little like squared away oh, no. little collection of blocks everyone's competing for the same um sort of contested resources so if you've got carrot say and and somebody else yes. if you've nicked all the orange blocks sam yes i'm stuffed yeah yeah. Right. So I just need to make the outline of a carrot then, you know, something that is carrot shaped <laughs> that isn't going to look like, say, an ice cream. But it, yeah, and and you know, it's 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 great because there's a I think there's it says it in the rules like don't be a grabby goose or something like that or um... <laughs> Is that how is that how is that what your parents would say to you in your religious upbringing? <laughs> <laughs> um but and there and there's a general sort of group social sense as well in the room of like you know, no one's just going to put their hand around all the resources and just pull them towards them. You are just encouraged to take one at a time and that's it. And it makes it so, it makes those opening moments of the round so stressful, but hilarious and really ramps up the pressure of it. Especially if you're like competing, as you said, Chris, if you're competing for a particular colour, that's going to make it really obvious what, what it is you're making. But But really what the like objective cards do that frame the round is ensure that there's not enough time or there's not enough resources to really make anything remarkable or anything or make a creation that's too easy for someone to guess. So that means that you, like an inkling, when it comes to someone to guess, you have that same, those same joyous moments around the table where the, you know, the guesser has to pick something that, that is a psychological horror of what's been left apart on the table. So, so what unfolds then is three magnificent things. Like either it's the, you know, 
the appreciation of an incredible piece of art or the magic of two minds behaving on the same wavelength out of anywhere. Like, oh yeah, of course it's a mirror ball. Or you are <laughs> able just to get the magic or or you're able to guess correctly from what is like an actual utter mess like on the table. Like it's it's just got that same and I don't know whether it is because of the blocks aspect. It's just got that same childlike joy that comes from building little creations and trying to be as creative and uh, intuitive with those little blocks as as possible. Okay. You're, like, you're, you're making gestures yeah. with your hands, like little tiny little like field mats. Yeah, because the blocks are really tiny. I'm about to ask, are they, is it quite fiddly with the blocks? Is it quite fiddly? Uh, I, I, it can be if you're trying to build something that's quite tall. Oh so if like way. the objective for the round is trying to build the tallest thing, like, and you don't have to go for the objectives if you don't want to, but like my one of mine was like the Eiffel Tower. So it was, it was, so I tried to like build it upwards. It was like the Eiffel Tower and the objective was like build the tallest object. And I was trying to build something tall um, and it didn't go round. It didn't, no, no one guessed what it was. No, I think I, I um, so I, I, I had a chance to play this and I, I think that, um, I actually really like those challenges because I think, oh, cool. uh, particularly with like building them high, because I think the, the the inclination is to take the safe option and just do them kind of like flat. But when suddenly it's high, you're like, oh, actually, I am going to try and build a high heel, and I'm somehow going to work out how I'm going to have the heel separate to it. And just suddenly you get to have this kind of creativity <laughs> in it that otherwise it could be quite, you know, you could do it, you know, it's just one layer of blocks. I love that making everyone just trying to compete to just get it a little bit taller. So almost dexterity angle to it. Is this a game you see yourself coming back to often or is there a particular circumstance in which this game is preferable to play than, say, other times, really? I think it's a really good one. Um, like when you just want something quite light and it's got this sort of... Um, it's got quite a friendly vibe. I mean, we, Sam mentioned the kind of like everyone kind of scrambling to try and get the cubes, but everyone was that, that rule of one at a time. So everyone's sort of feeling like they want to just try and grab handfuls, but they're being very mm -hmm. polite and they're grabbing one. <laughs> but it's, it's just, it's a little bit of fun. Like we, we played, I think, sort of two games of it back to back and it was it was just really easy going. Um, it's not, you know, it's not one I play every day for sure, but it's it's just really light and it worked with a really different range of people as well. Can I ask, is there a minimum player count? Because I don't know how this would work as a two-player game. For you, is there a minimum well, player count that works best? In, interestingly, um, it does there, there it does play two players and there's a special co-op mode for two players. Oh, I love that. So basically, you're still playing the game but the idea is that the rules are slightly differently where you're trying to work together to complete a, ser a series of missions to get around the board so rather than competing against each other because in a two-player game that you might be tempted to try and make your stuff a little bit too abstract and it would just go nowhere yeah like neither of you would score any points any round because you're well it just wouldn't work anyway because if you're making really good stuff you're both getting two points around for guessing and um oh, well only one of you would be making i don't know anyway how they've done it is there's a co-op there's a co-op mode for two players but as emmy said like this game really sings the more people that you've got playing it and the more varied age ranges i think that you've got playing it as well because you know like inkling what makes this game great is when you truly see how 
crazy or bonkers someone that you love or that you're friends <laughs> with or that you work with actually is and you like kind of see an insight into their world and like how they think and how they see wow. the world it's like that is not a train john i don't know what you thought it was but that is not what a train so it's like a raw shark like. test um yeah <laughs> yeah um, but that but that's why block parties block parties um are really good and i'm not saying this because m is here i think i think in terms of that sort of style of game where you're creating something out of nothing inkling is just exceptional but block party does does a really good job of of providing a different sort of view on that a different way of 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 presenting that Speaking of blocks and bricks, this is really opposite, actually. We're on this kind of building trajectory. Uh, I've done well. I know. I, <laughs> um, I've i got a new subscription. So for a while, um, oh, no. I was I signed up to a board game subscription, a wonderful company called Rent, Shuffle and Roll, uh, based in Scotland, and wonderful facility where uh, you, you kind of sign up for a monthly subscription, a bit like, you know, a streaming service. And then once a month, oh, I look forward to it. I get an email saying, oh, it's time for you to pick your games, Chris, for this month. And I pick my games and you can kind of filter through by player count type of game. And then they'd arrive in the post in a box and I would get the tape inside to take the box back up so I could post it off backwards, um, backwards, <laughs> post it off back to them afterwards. And for a while that was my kind of fix. But I got to this point where I just wasn't having enough time to play the games I rented. So I've kind of switched to a service now called Brick Borrow. Uh, because so, so don't stop, stop, Emily. What do you think Brick Borrow is? <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping it's not a like a, a building firm. I'm hoping it's going to be something game adjacent. <laughs> yeah, someone's going to turn up to Chris's house in a few weeks and gone right. Yeah, block party the- for grown ups. Literally, like <laughs> point work. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if block, if if Big Potato were looking to make a big version of the, of um, <laughs> like Pub block Jenga, party, like Pub <laughs> Jenga, I mean, uh, the, the health and safety for that oh might be word. disastrous. As I'm there trying to build, build my the Eiffel tallest Tower. Eiffel Tower, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, thankfully, there's no bricks or mortar involved with this. Really, no cement, none of that. Uh, this is a Lego subscription service. Ooh. Which, if I was somebody trying to create a company. The last thing I would probably want to create as something to rent out would be Lego because what if somebody loses a piece? Do I then have to count all Mm. of the pieces of Lego afterwards to check? How does this work? And so this is a company uh, based in the UK and there's a monthly subscription. Unlike some of these kinds of rental subscription services, I can keep the Lego I rent for as long as I want. I'm still paying monthly. But there's no, I'm not on the clock, say, to complete the set if it's something that's particularly complicated. And I've gone for the lower kind of pay band, which is around $9.99 a month. And I should say you pay £4.95 on postage on top of that, which includes to you and from you. But you can keep the Lego for as long as you want, really. There is a wonderful kind of setting you can kind of go in for, which is the mystery set where you literally don't know what's going to turn up. It could be, it could be something very simple. Or it could be Hogwarts, I don't know. But you've got this wonderful <laughs> website which tells you all the stuff that's available. There's quite a range of stuff, really. 
because I like I like building Lego, but what I don't like doing is just leaving it fully assembled around my house because I just don't have the space. So to have a facility where I can build it and take it apart, put it in the bag, back in a bag, and then it doesn't have to go in my loft. I'm just posting it back, and then a new lot can come in. It's just great for me. Absolutely brilliant. And we got our first box through the for the door the other day, which was um, like a, a vase of flowers that you make. Like I've seen those. Really, really good. And the, that's the thing. You're, you're online thinking, oh, is that going to be difficult? But actually, that's not the point. It's actually it's been this lovely event, little activity for us to do where we're sat there and just watching kind of in this kind of alchemy occur where these bits of plastic, which, you know, you can recognize bits of being, oh, that must have been a car bonnet on a different set, suddenly become the petals of this flower opening up. And we, we brought out an actual vase and we slotted them in that. And people would come around and just do double takes thinking it was a bouquet of flowers. But over the, <laughs> but over the next few days, you know, once, once we felt we're done with them, we'll take them apart. Once the petals start falling Exactly. Off. Put them back in the bag, and then I will take the label that's already inside, stick it on the box, and ring Royal Mail to come and pick it up, and then I will order my next set. So, I think the thing with Lego for me that I've never really un- not understood, but I, I don't know. It's just, and, and you've done a lot of Lego sets now, Chris. It's like I can see the appeal of something like a jigsaw, where you know what you're making, you know you've got all the pieces to do it. But you, there's a there's a puzzle there in terms of figuring out where the pieces go. So is the joy of putting these things together and doing Lego, is it the joy of just taking yourself away from the world and creating something, even if someone's telling you bit A onto bit B onto bit C onto bit D? Or is there something else that makes that process enjoyable? I mean, it's, it's the reason why I tend to be drawn to board games that have a landscape represented there. There's something spatial there, really. So much of my life, like most people's lives and their jobs, when you create something in your job, it's always connected or always enmeshed or interlinked with something else. It doesn't exist necessarily as an entity in itself. It's always got lots of other moving parts, lots of other people connected to it. To have something that sits on my table that has been built by me from scratch and exists completely abstracted and it's there as this entity is a wonderful thrill that I don't get necessarily elsewhere. Like, yes, I made that. I did it relatively quickly. Um, Yes, there's something quite meditative in following a set of instructions. There's that sense of inevitability that doesn't always happen when I'm making stuff, say, in my job. So it, it offers a degree of control in at times when the world can be quite chaotic and unpredictable, really. Mm. Except, you know, as we found the other day when there were two little green round bits that we couldn't find, pieces that were missing. But then that was a lovely life lesson. We're like, okay, I'm not going to sweat it. It's not my set. It's their set. We'll just let them know. And that's it. That's absolutely fine. Mm. I really like the sound of it. I think um, Lego's great fun. I completely see the appeal of it, but... Not everyone has space to have, you know, a Lego Death Star just sitting in their living room. And it's nice to be able to do that activity without having to have, you know, just big plastic sculptures everywhere, which are a nice reminder, but they do they do really take up space and they're hard to clean. Oh, my gosh, I can imagine. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine having to buy a separate Hoover attachment just for your Lego? (laughs) 
I'm not sure how uh, how much. I this... mean, there probably is one. <laughs> uh, I don't know how whether Brig Burger would appreciate. I can't actually give you all the pieces back because they're inside a, a little vacuum cleaner that I bought specifically. Yeah, Henry's for this. had them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm already getting itchy about the two little green <laughs> bits of Lego that have got lost in your house somewhere, Chris. No, 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 no. they never arrived. Because we very care. All oh, right, okay. So well, everything comes. Are you sure? Yes, I'm positive. So everything. So usually when you've got these big Lego sets, so I've got a massive 1989 Lego Batmobile, which spoilers is all black bricks pretty much. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> so usually what happens when you've got a big Lego set is they divvy it up into like six or eight bags, and you know, okay, we're doing yeah. bag one for this particular section. The only wrinkle when you've got secondhand Lego is everything's in one bag. And it's like one of those sealable mm. Loctite sandwich bags. So everything's in this, and you're like sloshing it around. Everything's in this one bag. So we painstakingly poured it into kind of separate bowls, making sure nothing pinged off in different directions. Um, so we we were <laughs> you were there in your in your white. I mean, scene of crime scene. I don't know if this infuriates you more, Sam, but we had we had, we also had extra pieces in there <laughs> that weren't part oh, wow. of the set. No. So. I, um, but that was fine. That was a, that was absolutely fine because it wasn't my Lego. Okay, yeah. And and it still looks really nice. You know, it wasn't like you know a, a key component was missing. Say for example. No. So, I and, and you know it's a bit of a lucky dip because you know if the, the only drawback if, if you've been able to keep the Lego sets for as long as you want is often the really good sets are very difficult to get a hold of. But you know, there's a really strong selection of stuff on there. Genuinely. And is there is there I mean I mean there probably literally is the holy grail but is there a do you have a holy grail of lego sets is there something that you've always wanted well to build it's just it's just literally appeared on the radar um you probably know what this one is it's rivendell yeah the nice lego version of rivendell is not long been in circulation that's that's not there on their um there um it's not available yet there but i for me i'm drawn to architecture so buildings in a, a nice structure um for me is what I, I quite like and rivendell would be i think lovely again as you were saying um i'd love to build it i i couldn't own it because i mean that would take up pretty much core of my living room i think um <laughs> <laughs> as, as beautiful as it is um I just don't think I could justify having it up in in the house, really. But I I'd love to build that because a little bit what you were saying, Em, about the grass in Captain America, I think that would make me because there's so much love that's gone into trying to reflect the the set that was used in the films. <laughs> I think even down to the point M where if you lift up the uh, the Council of Elrond table, there's like there's like the Eye of Sauron underneath it, like a lovely little Easter egg they've made out of Lego. <gasps> Oh, Isn't I love that. So it's, it's got lots of little Easter eggs in there. So I think when I rewatch yeah, the films, yeah. I would see that scene, which is a very famous scene, you know, and, and it would make me have such positive associations from building it. How would you feel about taking it apart again afterwards, though? Um, like, would you go methodical or just take it apart? Method methodical. So I did this for my yeah. Batmobile a couple of years ago. That took almost as much as building it, but it was really relaxing. It was just so lovely mm. and yeah it's it, i'm gonna I've, I've only done like a month of this so far so i'm gonna see how it pans out but i think it's just such a lovely thing to have on the comfort of your own home really em i'm not going to assume that you've heard the show before but if you did you would have known that uh 
we have a small section on it where we talk about uh, we 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 don't have necessarily have the staying in awards as such but certain games or books or films might get a certain recognition from us in a odd sort of way so we like we have we have breakfast games yep. the the famous list of of staying in breakfast games <laughs> games to breakfast too and uh we've we've also got uh what are the other categories we've got uh chuck them in your bag games yeah pain pending yep. in terms of the title still not set on that title so yeah just games that you just chuck them in your bag uh, and then we also have uh games to read to games to read to um previous uh mentions include uh euro truck simulator um power wash simulator all the simulators uh, <laughs> All the simulators, um, but I have a new I have a new one to add to the list. Everyone, it's um, a game called Dorf Romantique, Ooh. and um, I know that me and you, Chris, played this uh, one morning when we were both very hungover. Extremely hungover. Um, I mean, that's a new category in <laughs> itself, isn't it? Hungover games. <laughs> <laughs> hungover games, but it's a uh, wonderfully light. Um, video game where all you're trying to do is put down these little um, hexagonal pieces that have certain details on so they might have a bit of a forest a bit of a uh, a lake or a river or a train track um, or maybe some housing and you're just um, trying to create not necessarily the best habitat, not necessarily the nicest looking habitat. You're just really just trying to match different sides of the habitats with the other sides. So match buildings next to buildings, match forests next to forests, and match rivers up to rivers. And there's an there's an element of the game which is all which is basically like high score chasing. Mm. Like every time you sit down and play, you're trying to beat your own high score. And you do that either by creating something as i said which whether where the tiles and the pieces match the areas around them and match the features around them um as much as possible or you're completing certain objectives so say example getting a area of your landscape which is made up of 32 houses or getting an area which is like 52 fields all connected together and trying to make those runs last for make those runs last for as long as possible because you're limited to the amount of tiles that you have um, access to. And it's just one of the most relaxing and joyous um, puzzles because it's not much of a puzzle. At no point are you really reprimanded for, oh, that tile's in the wrong place, you know. It's not (laughs) like Carcassonne where there are literally no places where you can't put a tile. There are places where if you put a tile, you can therefore no longer complete an objective, but you're never told off for putting a tile where you would do. And it might be that you run out of tiles a bit sooner because you've just been putting them willy-nilly all around the place. But what Dorf Romantique does, which is exceptional, and why I love it, especially as a game to read to, is once you've kind of created this space and got a high score or whatever then it immediately switches to something called creative mode where you can pick and choose the tiles that you want and then change the orientation of everything that you've got in place at the moment so it's it's like this experience where you just like are trying to create something to some rules and then you get rid of all those rules and then you just try and like titify it and 
like embellish it a little bit make it how you imagine this little world that slowly comes to life actually is hang on didn't they um when we were at aircon there was a board game version of this on the tables there and you um denied about buying it yeah because i but it's, it's... i got emily uh no i mean i was gonna say i you um denied about it but actually um i was very fortunate to see a copy of it the other day in our local board game cafe and it's so because i didn't know the video game beforehand uh, I was no. only really familiar for it because of the Spiliaris nomination. And I thought, oh, okay, we'll have a go. And it's really interesting yes. yeah. hearing you talking about it. And that feeling is really similar to the board game. Surprisingly so, I think. Okay. So um, I think, oh, that's really good. like the video game, it, it's, it's tile placement. Um, you're still trying to... So it's, I think it's one to six player. So it's, it's cooperative. Um, it kind of feels like solo plus, if you know what I mean. It's that kind of you're doing it together, but you're still very much, you know, that solo yeah. feeling. Um, and you've got these tasks to complete. So, you you know, the first three turns, you're going to be placing these tasks down and you're going to be revealing point scoring tokens on those task tiles. And then that's going to tell you how many matching types of terrain. Like you've mentioned the different kinds of terrain. You've got to match those to the edges of the tiles. So you're trying to, for example, if you yeah. you were trying to score up a task for a field, uh, sorry, for forest, for example, you, you know, you turn up, you've got to score four of those. So you've got to create a network of connecting uh, forest within that area. And you mentioned that you're not reprimanded in the way that you place things. And it's quite similar in the board game, with the exception of um, railway lines or streams, where you have to connect those so they have to be fitted. You can't kind of block uh, one of those routes. Otherwise, you can place the difference. You've got, like, you know, your grain, your villages, your forest, your pasture. You can kind of fit them anywhere you like, but you kind of score more points for placing them in sort of collections of things. And it's uh, something that kind of... It's actually a kind of legacy-like game as well. So a kind of green legacy, I guess, that kind of um, you can reset it all afterwards. So you're scoring up, you're just trying to get a high score after each game. But that allows you to kind of progress along a campaign track, which will then allow you to open little boxes that have new sort of challenges and new like mm. like <sighs> tasks for you to achieve different tiles and achievements. So you've kind of got that, That's what you kind of just described. You haven't got the kind of creative mode, but you've got that kind of progression. Mm. And can I ask, what's the setup like for it? Because obviously an advantage of the video game is the setup is minimal. Like, what's it like for the board game version of it? So straightforward. Um, okay. It's all hex tiles. Uh, you have your landscape tiles and you've got your task mark um, task marker tiles. You're going to remove three of the landscape tiles, put those back in the box, and then you're just going to stack them in piles. And you're just going to be turning over, revealing tiles. You... Whenever you have um, fewer than three task markers out, when you have when you when you complete them, you score them up, and you remove the little task marker that's active. Um, as soon as you have no longer got an active one, you're going to reveal a new one. So you'll always have three in play at any time to score up. And whilst yeah. you've got those in play, you're going to be drawing and revealing landscape tiles to then fit around them. So it's super cool. I think we played. Uh, I think three games in about an hour and a half. Wow! Like it really, oh, wow. it, it's really quick turnaround how um i think the thing that the thing that i love about the video game and i think the thing that sort of in terms of if i was to pick one over the other 
and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, is just how evocative the video game is and how when you play stuff down, it starts life as this inanimate tile and then you place it down and suddenly there's this like lovely satisfying pop that it makes and then suddenly the tile like springs to life so birds start floating around the forests and um, trains start trundling up and down the tracks and boats start meandering their ways through the rivers and you can kind of you can zoom in and out of the landscape and move around it and you can start to imagine what these towns would be like and you can start to see like oh that house is there and they're right next to a field so that must be like there must be some farmers out there they're living their little life out there and on oh, this is the train station that takes them into town and it's like it's so wonderfully evocative and the soundtrack is incredible as well actually um like how i think i think the thing that i love about tile laying games is the picture of the of the of the city of the place you build after it and um so how evocative is is that is that sort of experience as the game of dwarf romantic because in the video game it's like exceptionally evocative like obviously you've not played the video game but how how did it feel like when you completed the the landscape i think you get some of that i think the actually the artwork on the tiles is is very very sort of sweet it's quite you know lots of different kind of little sort of creatures on it um a little bit like do you remember like king domino has all the little different scenes happening oh, on yes. the different tiles it's got that slightly that kind of vibe yep. so it's not i mean that's a i think door romantic is probably a really good one we were talking about earlier the idea of like listening to music would make it more immersive i think you'd get more of that feel of the video yeah. game by doing that but there is a kind of uh a push and pull because you want to score up something but actually you want to have your, your kind of grain fields around your village you know there's there's it doesn't push you to do that but once you've you finished your city you've completed you've got through your landscape tiles you do look back at oh this is what i've kind of created throughout it I don't think it quite gets the same level that you get with a video game. Obviously, it's not you know just different medium, but I think it does kind of nod to it. Um, so it's been so this is nominated for a Spiel de Jar, and if you don't know what the Spiel de Jars are, it's 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 reductionist to say it's like the board game of the year awards because the awards themselves skew a lot more to family yeah. friendly games. I I tend to think of Spiel de Jar as like the family game of the year or the or the best current family game of the year um so why why do you think like dwarf romantique has been nominated then um, what do you think that's a really interesting question isn't it um i think it is a really accessible game in terms of i think i'd happily play it with you know family different groups of people i think it's something that's really uh, accessible and light um and easy to engage with um I think is interesting actually I played one of the other games on the list um uh, Next Station London from Matt Dunstan um yeah which is a, a totally different game like it's not the same you know it's it's a, a very different vibe it's got that kind of um I guess sort of solo plus thing again that kind of uh you're you're kind of it's a, a flip and write you're kind of um exploring a, an under uh, what's it called Oh, metro line um of london and you're trying to create your own map of train tracks and it's got that sort of similar accessibility to it in some respects 
and they're, and they're innovative they do something different they take something that there is from other kind of ideas of games they feel familiar but they're still fresh yeah yeah like i absolutely i always tend to like for my if i'm looking to get a family my family a game for christmas when i go down there till for christmas it tends to be i tend to look at the spiel jar list because it tends to yeah reach a broader demographic um, there's a lot more table talk that tends to happen at Spiel des Jahres, really, than, say, more crunchy games. I'm not going to take Gloomhaven mm. to my family for Christmas because <laughs> there wouldn't be a Christmas, no. say, for example. Um, and they tend to, it tend to be quite a safe bet. You could lit- I could literally pretty much buy any game off a Spiel des Jahres list without knowing anything yeah. about it and know that I'm going to have something of a good time of it, probably. It's at least going to be accessible. No one's going to... Uh... Yeah, in terms of some things might hit and some things might miss but in the at least I think they have a pretty good track record of picking games that are very very accessible and opened up to a wide broad audience in terms of interest and ability and uh, engagement engagement with the hobby like as as you know I, I tend to like you're saying Chris I tend to look at that list and think about people getting into the hobby for the first time yeah. that's like a really good place to to start in terms of there'll be things that they're interested in and things and certain maybe certain ips that they might already know about or certain things that they request to their friends so if they're kind of like taking to those first leaps of like what's something interesting i could just take a risk on getting anything from those lists tends to be a pretty a pretty safe bet it's um it's an excellent it's an excellent resource in a way right should we do Spider-Man you reckon we've got, got time? time to do Spider-Man got time I think so Emily you got time to sit around and listen to us talk about Spider-Man uh, only if you accept that I'm going to be really jealous because I was meant to see it on Monday night and I couldn't so I um, I haven't had a chance yet but I have seen the trailer and it looks amazing we're, we're not going to spoil anything um, for two reasons one because <laughs> no. that's not fair and two I don't know if I could if I wanted to really <laughs> okay I mean I, c- I could to a degree but for me what I love about Into the Spider-Verse and this film Across the Spider-Verse is just this giddy kind of spectacle, this assault on the senses, this kaleidoscope of colour, of all these different types of animation, um, and an absolutely banging soundtrack from Daniel Pemberton, who continues to be one of my favourite composers, who's just so eclectic. He's done this, he's done See How They Run, He's done Paddington 2. I mean, <laughs> I think it's Paddington who's done. I mean, what an extraordinary kind of oeuvre. Um, very, very distinctive uh, textures there. Uh, and it is just yeah. an extraordinary film. It, it's a long film. I mean, you're saying that to the person who watched Lord That's of the Rings. That's true, actually. <laughs> but we didn't... That I'm is not... the exception to my rule. So, um, so broadly speaking, Miles Morales is trying to be... Um, Spider-Man, um, without the presence of his multiverse mentors. In the previous film, he obviously was encountered by people from the multiverse. In this film, he's being pulled into the multiverse. I think that's right premise, isn't it, Sam? 
yeah yeah it's very much just a continuation of i think several months have passed since into the spider-verse or several years uh, uh, uh there's been a che- decent chunk of time since the events of the previous film and um it very much picks up where it left off and i think the opening five ten minutes of the film leaves you in no doubt that you're in for an experience like no other like if like watching remembering what it was like to watching into the spider-verse the first time just thinking like how unique and visceral um that experience was somehow they've managed to top it and somehow they've managed to make it more unique and somehow they've managed to make it more um visceral and they've not necessarily done that by doubling down on what they did in into the spider-verse um it's completely just just to give you and and this might be a slight spoiler but it won't be because i i promise you em this will have you asking more questions <laughs> than it will give you answers but in the opening in the opening salvo of the film there is a watercolor attacking uh, a leonardo da vinci sketch inside a modern yep. art museum and <laughs> uh-huh and and somehow the film isn't lost no. it doesn't get lost in that concept yeah and I, I i don't know there's part of me that really wants to know how what the creative process is behind behind this film um because i just can't i, I watch it and i remember it and i just can't imagine how they've managed to make something that is so imaginative but yet so coherent and which is quite telling considering that marvel's new phase is all about multiverse they've had several films to try and explain the multiverse to us in a manner that is so far less coherent than one film and you just get it and it's literally as you say sam different art styles when we watched Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, we walked out of that thinking that wasn't as mad as one would expect for a multiverse. No. This one does put its money where its mouth is. And this this kind of beautiful kind of intertextuality starts to manifest where these collisions of different forms of animation, there's a particular verse that is, I'm not going to spoil what it is, that was created here was inspired by um, a teenager recreating the trailer, I think, for Into the Spider-Verse. And the producers liked it so much, they asked this kid to create a section where they cut to a world with that Spider-Man. So this kid animated it, and that's in this multi-million dollar (laughs) film. And and, and, and really, as you say, Sam, the only way way you can coherently create a multiverse is by having multiple voices. But as you say, to, but then again, there, there's this risk that you get a camel is a horse designed by a committee where actually too many cooks and all of this sort of stuff. And it is bewildering the amount of different universes we encounter in this runtime. And still, that, that, that kind of heart, that emotional core that is quite 
disarming really when you're watching animation it's something you you kind of see in that kind of lovely kind of familial sweetness in a pixar film but this feels grown up and at times not to say that animation can't be grown up of course it can be and there's lots of history of that but given the fact that this is wonderful rich roller coaster of a ride and this spectacle that is occurring throughout you could forgive it for not perhaps paying due diligence to characterization because it wants you to get lost in the spectacle it does both and yeah. that is extraordinary yeah. really and i walked out thinking okay the film was too long but i don't know what i would cut i don't know how i could have made it shorter because it is just an extraordinary event yeah the 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 film is the film is too long i think uh, you know how i've you know where i stand on this chris i don't think a film any film should be longer than two hours uh, uh, agreed um <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and especially, you know, I think, you know, but, but saying that I left the film wanting yeah, more, it's a really like paradox. I left the film going, I want more of this. It's, um, yeah, because it is like having your head battered by a printer ink cartridge. That is just, just leaking everywhere. Yeah, and you know it is it is slightly exhausting. You know, I do I do credit the direction that it's actually quite smart, and that it does the same thing that George Miller did with Mad Max Fury Road. Like everything is dead center of the frame, and it's only when you start drifting off into the other sort of parts of the frame that you start noticing all of the other things like going on. Like, did you know? Like, it'll be this be quite interesting if you notice this, um, uh, and when you go and see it. Is that I swear? I swear, and please, can you email me and vouch for me? When I swear, like after the after the BBFC certificate, I swear, just for a brief second, a little speech bubble that said "cough" came up in the far right-hand corner of the screen before. Yeah, it I don't remember that. I remember the the little editor notes you'd get in the bottom right hand of a panel. You you get in comics where that's their yes. way of doing exposition. I saw the yeah. editor notes. I don't remember the cough. But I, I, I don't know whether I imagined it because it's just like completely blink where you miss it. But I swear I saw like a little, like, you know how you would see in a comic book. It's not quite a inside a speech bubble, but it's kind of like a, uh, like a, 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 a literal sort of, if when someone coughs, you just get the word cough, like flash up above their head. Like it yeah. was, like it just looked like like that. It just sprang up just for a second and went back down as if like a member of the audience coughed and it was just like, popping up in front of the screen like please can you can you watch it and just look out for that i will look i'm gonna look for that i'm gonna be specifically looking for that <laughs> like i think the one thing that it left me with was a a slight mourning for the doctor strange and the multiverse of madness film that we could have got and i don't know where the next film is going to go like i don't know how they're gonna no. top it or what they're gonna do I just can't. I my imagination is no. not good enough. <laughs> I just hope yeah. someone else is it. <laughs> it's that kid again. They'll just get him to come. But like, yeah, I'm having to recalibrate <laughs> my imagination to try because it feels like they're holding something back. But I can't imagine what they would be holding back for this second, this you know, no. this third film in this. I, I suppose it's a trilogy. That's a thing, isn't it? Really, but uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's. It, it's 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 not just more of the same. It builds on what it's had before, really. So I think you're in for a, um, an incredible ride. 
anyway, um, thank you so much for, for joining us on the show. It's been an absolute delight having you on. And um, I guess this is your chance now to tell us a bit about what Osprey have got coming up. Yeah, of course. Well, firstly, I mean, it's been so much fun chatting with you guys. So thank you very much for Thanks. having me on. Um, what have we got coming up? So um, you guys are already familiar with Undaunted, oh, yes. of course. Um, <laughs> and we have just released Undaunted Battle of Britain, right. uh, which if there hasn't been a copy winging its way to you, there will be shortly. There is one. Uh, no pun intended, but oh, nice! I can't. I cannot wait. What we're going to drink, Sam? I feel like this is. Yeah, I. I don't know. I feel like one of us has got to be drinking like a, uh, a scotch, and the other one's <laughs> drinking a, something out of a stein or something. Like I feel like we're hardened battle. You know, we're hardened pilots. Aces. Yeah. Aces in the skies above britain like it 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 feels like in the same way that memoir 44 like had that really like started off being really grounded and then became really audacious by doing stuff in the skies and how kind of how battles can kind of become quite i don't want to say ridiculous but how they can come really like actiony and like visceral when you suddenly start introducing planes i feel like undaunted battle of britain has that same potential um but yeah can't wait to play it the um i think the the biggest kind of change in that respect is that you know the idea of sort of constantly being moving when you're in the aircraft and that having to maneuver and having to get back into position again is it's really immersive it's it's really good um it's I think it changes up Undaunted for people that love the system already, but it's also been a really interesting entry point for people. It's been really interesting to hear what you think. Oh, no, look forward to playing it for our War Boys Day, Sam. We will have a War Boys what? Day, and hopefully Em doesn't know what that is, so we don't have to explain. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other one I will mention is um, General Orders, which is coming out in October. Uh, mm. which is from the amazing Undaunted Design Jiro, David Thompson and Trevor Benjamin. Uh, but this time they are back with a worker placement war game, which has uh, a sort of a level of abstraction. So you're not the troops on the ground, you're the commanders in the, the war room. Um, and you are going to be uh, moving your troops around the battlefield. It's two player, same sort of elegance of that original Undaunted system. Uh, but it, as I say, it's worker placement. It takes, I think, 25 minutes, 30 minutes to play. It's super quick, um, but really strategic. And I mean, we had a game of it yesterday and I'm already obsessed and I'm really looking forward to being able to mail those copies out to people and everyone have a, a sort of imagine a totally different kind of uh, undaunted system yeah. that just brings something new to the table. Wonderful. And that's October that's coming out. That's October. Wow. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing that. Um, and then December, we have um, Sankore, the Pride of Mansa Musa, um, which is the sort of spiritual sequel to Merv. Um, oh, yes. Which you may yes. remember from 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember, this, yeah. <laughs> so this is uh, Fabio Lopiano again, uh, but also with Mandela Fernandez Grandon. 
Uh, it's it's another interactive Euro, but it's a uh, it's actually a totally different setting. It's the University of San Corre in 14th century Timbuktu, um, and it's going to be around the idea of sort of building up this university and sort of taking classes. And it's the the graphic design has been done by Ian O'Toole, oh. same as Merv, and it's just stunning. And yeah, so that's that's the end of the year. So we've got lots lots of fun things lined up. Fantastic! Wow! Awesome! I I cannot wait. Um, thanks again, Em. Right, um, I'm going to go and pour myself a rum and coke, I guess. Because <laughs> it matches my charming personality. I'm going to see how much Dorfram Antique costs to purchase. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, well, that'll do. All right, then. <laughs>